Now, Scotland's talking. Call 0333 2020 401 and join the debate. And from me, Ali Bally, a very good Sunday morning to you. This is Scotland's talking. On the programme today, mad cow disease is back. So are you worried? There's always the possibility that a sporadic case will pop up. Food Standards Scotland have said it's, it's nothing for us to be too worried about. Scotland's farmers seem pretty relaxed, but what about the rest of us? Will you think twice about buying beef again? And staying with food, what's going wrong with Scotland's restaurants? More closed down in the first half of this year than the whole of last year. Have your eating out habits changed? I would like to hear from not only you on that, but also any restaurant owners. Are we now seeing a lot of bad restaurants not lasting very long? Or indeed, is it just bad luck, wrong location? After 11 o'clock, I'll be asking if you think we need to talk more about the menopause. Is there enough understanding and support for what women experience during that part of their lives? And what do you think of plans to rewrite the highway code to make drivers give way to pedestrians when they're turning a corner? We're so busy, we're so desperate to get everywhere quickly that I think it can only be a good thing if we actually stop and consider other people for a time. So will it be a good thing or will some people treat it as a licence to jaywalk and pay no attention at all to what's coming round the corner motor-wise? It's Scotland's talking. If you'd like to join us, the phone lines are open. 0333 2020 401. Scotland's talking. The podcast. When was the last time you went out for lunch or an evening meal? Are you doing it less now than you used to? The dining trade in Scotland's going through a bit of a tough time. New figures show 76 restaurants closed in the first six months of this year. That's more than the whole of 2017. Is it because we've got less cash to throw around? Or has eating out become too expensive? Are the tougher drink drive laws putting you off going out? Or are the sort of supermarket deals, the ready-made deals, tempting you to eat in at home instead. Well, to, to discuss this and, and help us try and analyse it from UK hospitality, it's Willie McLeod. Willie, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Ali. So, what's the story? What's going on from the, the hospitality side of them? What do you see is going wrong? Well, I, I think uh, a number of the factors that you mentioned in your introduction there are at play. Um, generally speaking, people are eating out more often. It's becoming uh, a factor of daily life. Uh, uh, we're eating breakfast outside, whereas we, we used to eat breakfast uh, in the home. Uh, you know, the restaurant sector has always been uh, a sort of fairly volatile and cyclical business to be in. Uh, there's vulnerability to competition, to to uh, changing customer changes, uh, customer tastes and preferences. Um, and there are relatively few barriers to, to entering this business. Uh, but although we've seen some closures, some fairly high-profile closures in uh, the last well, 12, 18, 24 months, uh -huh. um, there's many, many restaurants out there uh, managed well, they're operating well, they're, uh, they understand the, their markets, uh, and they're, they're operating uh, profitably, but, but certainly management, uh, adaptability, um, you know, uh, ability to change uh, and follow, anticipate customer tastes uh, has always been fairly critical. It's not an easy thing to do, is it, to open a restaurant? I mean, uh, it's 
From sitting by the sidelines, and many people must think, oh, this is great, it's full every night and they're making loads of money, but that's not always the case. Well, when it's done well, um, you know, a restaurant um, is, is a fantastic business to, first of all, be involved in, but also to observe as a customer. I mean, uh, it, there, there's a great sense of theatre about a restaurant, but there's also a need for, for great uh, teamwork between the, the, the waiters and waitresses at the front of the house and the, the chefs and the, the back of the house team. Uh, and uh, managing that and doing so successfully uh, is is a great skill, and it's often uh, under-recognized as a skill. It looks easy from the outside. Uh, lots of people who don't have the capacity to run a restaurant think it's a very easy business to do. Sometimes I think the only barrier to, to opening a restaurant is, is your checkbook. Uh, but once you get into it, it's, it's a pretty tough and unforgiving business. Would I be right in thinking, and, you know, I, I do occasionally eat out, more than occasionally, I suppose, but... Um, Looking at it from the, the sidelines, when a restaurant is opened and run by uh, the owner, you know, by whether it be uh, the chef that's opened a restaurant because he wants to go out on his own or somebody front of house has decided they want to do it as well, but they're on the premises against a big chain who are just opening with management. It's, is, it's, is that part of the problem sometimes? Well, I, th I think there's space for both in the market, Ali. We we have uh, lots of uh, very successful uh, chef patrons running their own business, family businesses. And over the last few years, we've seen uh, a huge growth, particularly in the, the casual dining sector. We've seen uh, huge growth in uh, the presence of uh, branded restaurants uh, in all of our high streets. And... Um, some of these, not all of them, but some of these have suffered significantly in the in the last eighteen months or so. Some of them fairly high profile, and uh, there's a number of factors uh, impacting on this. Um, uh, you know, overcapacity in the sector, injudicious expansion. Uh, you know, the uh, going hell for leather for brand presence in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, some uh, poor decisions on location. Uh, and on the premises, I mean, rents are high, uh, rates are spectacularly high, especially following revaluation in uh, April last year. Uh, competition from takeaways, from home delivery services. Uh, you mentioned even the, the dine-in at home uh, deals that uh, you can get from supermarkets. Um, I'm not uh, immune to these myself. Uh, there's much greater consumer choice. Um, Consumer sentiment, um, there's not a lot of customer loyalty. We've got changing tastes, lifestyle changes, diet changes, pressures on uh, on uh, household incomes. Um, and we've got uh, a consumer market that is uh, very sensitive to pricing and deals, uh, use of discount vouchers, mm -hmm. um, and even some bad behavior by consumers in making uh, multiple bookings for um, a Saturday night and uh, deciding at seven o'clock in the evening which restaurant you're going to go and not not letting the ones you've the other ones you've made a booking with not letting them know. That must so, be hugely frustrating for for those in charge of those restaurants that you don't turn up and when when you're sitting with a restaurant that you know you could have sold that table. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more perishable than than a, a restaurant table or a, a hotel room. 
you know, once the opportunity to sell that has gone, you, you, you can't stop the inventory as such. Uh, and that, that's particularly um, harmful to smaller, independently run businesses, the, the, the family business that we were speaking about earlier. Um, you know, they've maybe only got the capacity for 30 or 40 people. And if they lose a booking for, for six or eight people on that evening, they've prepared for it, they've bought the food, they've, they've uh, rostered the staff to deal with that volume of customers. Uh, if they lose the, the revenue from six or eight people uh, who haven't had the courtesy to turn up or tell them they're not going to turn up, uh, then that, that can more or less wipe out the profitability uh, for an evening. I mean, restaurants are very high-cost businesses, uh, not least in, in terms of labor. Um, you know, staff costs can be up to uh, about 40% of turnover. Um, and other costs are increasing. I mentioned rates and rents, um, but also um, particularly um, with the, the devaluation of sterling, a lot of the, the products, the ingredients we're buying in are imported, imported foodstuffs, imported beverages, and uh, some of these costs have been increasing way above the the uh, the, the published rates of um, inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, although turnover in restaurants and in some chains uh, is growing, um, profits are down. There's, there's huge pressure on margins, and uh, the restaurant sector, indeed, the whole of the hospitality sector and some other industries are looking ahead to the, the uncertainty, the, the continuing uncertainty of Brexit and what that might do to um, uh, what uh, the, the loss of free movement of people from the EU uh, will deny us access to uh, a labour supply that we've come to rely on over the last 10 or 15 years. Right. Um, just before we go any further, I noticed Michelle's given us a call. Michelle, good morning. Uh, hi, Ali. Hello. Um, Your point? The point I've got is there's a lot of sites out there that you can book. Now, likes of Groupon and Voucher, you pay in advance. Mm-hmm. By 5pm, you don't. And there is a lot of people that book these and then don't turn up. And as the gentleman said, that that's a waste of finances. Um, but that's what they've got to compete against. There's the internet. It's not just people going out. Nowadays and going, all right, we'll go in there. We went there a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Um, but if you find a nice restaurant, you will return, whether you get it on a voucher or a Groupon or 5pm. It's just basically people are watching a penny. Yeah, yeah. because, again, I mean, I, I, you know, I would say exactly the same. If you're looking for to go out for a restaurant, you'll, you'll look on the internet and see what it is on his own or yep. what is anybody else. You know, you'll see what is there that is... Uh, and, and you'll be guided then by them, won't you? If you've got a deal somewhere, yep. yeah, that's where you'll go. So do, I mean, do, do you think... A few course a glass of wine. Yeah. And then if you go into the restaurant without that deal... You're paying slightly more, sometimes double. Yeah. So you've got to be savvy because we are still going through the recession. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. We're so, still going through the recession. So they've got to be savvy, um, Willie. Uh, restaurant owners, the, I, I think most oh, of them are, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, nobody would uh, deny uh, anybody <laughs> the right to look for a good deal. Um, we all want a good deal. Uh, I think we the, the internet uh, has certainly helped, and I think uh, restaurants, uh, as well as other business, if you if you don't embrace 
um, the internet, if you're not embracing uh, social media, uh, then uh, you're not going to last in business uh, a long time. I mm. mean, it's a bit like 100 years ago, if you didn't have a telephone, uh, then you weren't going to last in business uh, for, for very long. Um, but I, I think, uh, and I'm aware of some businesses um, myself that, that came to rely on vouchers and offering deals to get people through the door, uh, I think you can use uh, these in, in a tactical way to, to bring business at quieter times. Yep. But if that becomes the, the mainstay of your business model, um, you, you may well see turnover maintaining. You might see turnover increasing. But if you're not getting the right price for your product um, and your margin suffers, uh, then I don't think you're going to last in business very long. Now, just on a final note, Willie, we were talking at the beginning there about 76 restaurants closing the first six months of this year. Um, that's more, as I say, than the whole of 2017. But turning it round to the positive side, uh, you also mentioned we're, we're sitting out for breakfast or, we're, you know, the, there's, the restaurants are being used more. Uh, all in all, as far as hospitality is concerned in Scotland, um, despite these, these closures, do you see... A rosy future? Are, are, are things going all right? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we've got a very um, buoyant, adaptable, uh, resilient sector in in hospitality. Um, we we have um, uh, a fairly uh, strong market. Um, you, you know, you can take your choice. Are we still in recession? Is austerity still a factor? Um, maybe yes. But uh, if you look around our pubs and restaurants, uh, as I did last night um, locally, um, you know, bars, restaurants uh, are busy. Uh, I think we, as with all businesses, hospitality faces uh, challenges. Um, looking ahead, I think uh, increasing costs, uh, eroding our margins are, are the, the main factors uh, exercising business owners' minds. But also I think one of the major factors is this, um, uncertainty over Brexit. Um, when is Brexit going to happen? Uh, how do we plan for it? And the, the biggest concern for our sector is um, access to uh, a workforce supply. Uh, we, we were at a time of pretty well full employment in, in this country. And uh, frankly, uh, our industry, and, and we're not alone in that, the care sector, the agricultural sector, uh, also needs uh, a supply of labour that's willing to come in to do some of the jobs that are available here. And they're skilled jobs. Uh, it's wrong to dismiss them as unskilled jobs. Uh, the, there's uh, a need for labour. There's a need for workers to come in and fill these jobs. And, in fact, uh, speaking only in the last week or so to uh, business owners, uh, it's not just hotels and restaurants, but it's visitor attractions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're beginning to worry quite a bit about where the the future supply of labour comes from. As some of our EU workers go home because uh, they they don't feel welcome, or because their earnings are being um, devalued because of the the decline in the value of sterling against the euro. So Brexit is affecting many industries at the moment, and as you said, you named just a few of them there. It's. Uh... It's certainly something we're all keeping our eyes and ears open for as to, as to what's happening. Willie, thank you very much indeed for joining us today and giving us your, your views. Willie McLeod uh, from UK Hospitality. Thank you. Cheers and bye.
Bye-bye now. And thanks to Michelle as well. So uh, what do you think on the, the restaurant trade? Is there a reason that um, so many restaurants have closed? Um, maybe know of one or two where you are? Or is it because of the, the some bigger chains have closed quite a few that have added to the numbers? Are you a restaurant owner? Uh, you know, how do you find it? Um, you know, I, I've, I've, as I say, been to restaurants myself that are packed out, and, and that's great. It's great to see that, you know, because they're, they're, they've got a good reputation. You've got a phone ahead, um, you know, in a lot of good restaurants. You just can't turn up. Um, and, and that's a good point, surely. But there are other restaurants. I was in one a couple of weeks ago, and my wife and I both looked at each other and thought, food's okay, but won't come back. You know, and there was various things wrong. It just didn't work. And it was reasonably new that opened. I thought, no, not for me. Um, so, you know, it's, it's difficult, I would have thought, for restaurant owners as well. But love to hear from you if you've opened and you've been successful. Come on and shout about it. Uh, or indeed, if you've had the other experience, let me know. Here's the number, 033 401 You can also text 61054, start your message with Ali. You can email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. And we're on Twitter, hashtag Scotland's Talking. Music and conversation, more on the way. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. So mad cow disease is back. Are you going to give up eating beef? Many of us will remember the panic 25 years ago when BSE first appeared in cows. The worst fears seemed to be confirmed when some people started catching and dying from the human form called new variant CJD. There was a ban on selling beef on the bone and a huge political row with Europe. Then it went quiet for a few years. Now we've got a new case turned up at a farm in Aberdeenshire. The farmer involved says he's found it personally devastating, but the experts are telling us there's no risk to human health. But do you believe them? Andrew McCormack from NFU Scotland says they're not too worried. I think it's because of what happened the first time BSE reared its head, but I think it was, I would say it was over-sensationalised. And again, I wouldn't like this to happen in this case either. It is, as I say, a sporadic case. It's not something that we wanted to happen, but it's not something that's unusual. It does happen. As I say, Ireland and France has gone through this before. We're in a far better place now because we've got a better understanding where we are. And the fact that Food Standards Scotland's trying to emphasise it, there's no health risk with this, there's no problem with this as such. And it actually emphasises how well surveillance is working because they've found this animal and it's all been acted on as quickly as possible. Andrew McCormack uh, from NFU Scotland. Our North of Scotland correspondent Brian Rutherford has been talking to farming expert Richard Jones, who's had experience of BSE the first time round. Well, I'm talking to Richard Jones. He's a farmer himself. Richard, an investigation continues to look for the source of this sporadic case of BSE, also called mad cow disease, on this Aberdeenshire farm. How challenging is that going to be? Uh, It's a very, very difficult thing to trace. Uh, I personally have known cases of twins being born, twin females being born, uh, one getting BSE at four years of age and the other living to uh, nearly 13 years and not showing any symptoms at all. So, Richard, we know one cow was infected and died, but the farmer has lost five in total. Apparently, other livestock are culled. What will happen next is that any cohorts will be taken from the farm, i.e. that that is uh, sisters, 
or our progeny, so any daughters or sons, and uh, just taken away and slaughtered to try and prevent any further spread of the disease. Thomas Jackson, he's the owner of these animals, and he says in a statement he's heartbroken after this personally devastating discovery of BSE. Uh, Richard, what next for him and his business? Anybody who keeps animals and, and knows and loves their animals will struggle with this mentally. I have uh, really struggled with, with animals that have had BSE to have to see them taken away. His neighbours will probably support him, which is the way the farming community works. His produce will probably not be shunned by buyers um, because this is an isolated case. Right, and Food Standards Scotland say that there's no risk to health uh, and that's because the cow in question never entered the human food chain. But Richard, will farmers or the food industry suffer any knocks at all? It's not the time to, to uh, turn against the beef industry. The tests that are carried out are done to catch cases early and I would stress that this is a sporadic incident. Richard Jones, uh, farmer and farming expert for Scotland's Talking. thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. And also joining us is Ken Fletcher, editor of The Scottish Farmer. Uh, Ken, good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. So, so we've we've gone now, we've got this news on Thursday. We've heard uh, the reaction there from, from Richard Jones and also from Andrew McCormick. But how, how have you and your team at The Scottish Farmer um, been sensing this has been received by the farming community? I think the, the farming industry is really more disappointed than anything else. Um, I think the, the biggest fear for them has been the kind of media backlash um, and, and, and I, I know that you called it yourself in, in the preamble here, uh, mad cow disease. It's actually called BSE, to put it into that kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I agree with, totally agree with Andrew McCormick that, you know, the authorities in the UK have been obsessive in their fight against BSE since it first reared its head in the uh, late 1980s and 1990s. Just to put that into some kind of context, 73 million European cattle were tested in the 10 years after uh, the first controls were brought in, in, the, in across Europe, and only 60 cases were actually found. So we have beaten this disease by culling, and uh, one of your other uh, correspondents there was talking about um, contiguous animals, animals that have been bred from those that have had it. Mm-hmm. They've all been taken out of the system. And uh, the other important thing to know is that all older cattle, whether they die on the farm or in the abattoir, they are all routinely tested for this disease. So since the last time of BSE then, um, what we can safely say, or what you're saying really, is that such stringent tests have been in place. That's why this one has been found, because of the stringent tests. That's an absolute fact, because there'll be other countries in Europe that don't test as routinely as we do, where there might be some things like that get back into the food chain. In this country, it is impossible for it to happen. So there, we, we, we've had, you know, the, the, the food standards, etc., saying there is, there is no um, panic here. We shouldn't be uh, saying, well, I'm not going to have my steak tonight. It should be business as usual then. Well, I would say so. I certainly had a steak last night for my tea. Um, and, and as you probably know, I have a steak most nights. I, I don't have any qualms about eating beef right. or even any of the derivatives of beef. Um, we have to realise that Scotch beef 
is a protected status brand name across the world. Um, it's well known for its high quality. It's well known for its high uh, welfare standards. And the eating quality, well, people go out and eat it every night. It's fantastic. And, and you're right in what you say. It's, it's well rec- recognised across um, Europe and the world. I mean, if you, if you see a Scotch steak advertised or Scotch beef used here, then, then that's because they're proud to be selling it. Absolutely. We have a, a, a beef, beef and lamb industry that exports about £80 million pounds per year. Now, our biggest customers are the French and Italian. And if, if you know how obsessive French and Italian cooks are, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. They only buy the best quality beef. And that's, what the, that's why they've been beating a path to the door of uh, the Scots abattoirs. They buy every year and it's been increasing. So over the next few weeks, do you think this story will just now go away because it is, it's not going to have the big effect that it did all those years ago? I think people are a bit more realistic, and the stats certainly speak that if this is only one animal, um, then it's a negligible risk. But the big problem will be if there's another case pops out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's uh, the chances are that this will happen because... This is what's known as a sporadic case, and they happen across the world, not just in the UK. The, there was one in uh, Wales in 2015. There's one in France. There's been some in Germany. Um, they just seem to pop up because we think there may be a kind of uh, genetic uh, susceptibility to BSE, and in which case you will never actually breed it out. There will always be one case every now and again. But for, given the fact that we have close on 2 million cattle in Scotland and that at some time in their life they will all probably go through the food chain at some point and be tested for this disease and to have only one animal out of that, mm-hmm. that's quite a, a low, low risk in my eyes. Ken, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme today and giving us your view. Ken Fletcher, editor of The Scottish Farmer. And if you have just joined us, good morning to you. We've been talking so far today about the dining trade in Scotland going through a tough time. New figures show 76 restaurants closed in the first six months of this year. That's more than in the whole of 2017. So why do you think that is? Uh, we had Michelle on who, who thought, you know, well, there's, there's a lot of offers online um, and there's a lot of takeaways available as well. Instead of just going to a restaurant, you know, there are deliveries uh, for almost every type of restaurant. There used to just be certain restaurants, but now it's everything. You know, people are in cars, on bikes, delivering to, to wherever you are. Is that the reason? Um, or indeed, is it just that if you're not a good restaurant, you just won't survive? Uh, you got a thought on that if, as I've been saying before, if you're a restaurateur, um, you maybe had one and it's gone, or indeed you're a successful one. Tell us why you are successful. 033-2020-401 is the telephone number if you'd like to join us. You can also catch up on some of the comments on my Facebook, Ali Bally Show, where we've also been talking about uh, BSE. Uh, it's back, and uh, we've had a couple of comments there um, and regarding where we are with it, the ban. Um, here's this one coming in here from Kath. Right, Kath says, I've not eaten beef since the initial BSE crisis broke two decades ago. Really? Dear me. Uh, food production and food safety and traceability must be paramount for the public trust. Well, I think it is, Kath. I'm sorry, I, I disagree with you there. 
I think, as the editor of the Scottish Farmer said, Ken Fletcher, he said there are so many um, checks in place, and that's why this was discovered, because those checks are in place. So thanks for that, uh, Kath. Uh, who else can I say here? Oh, yeah, Pete says, I understand the actual information will take a few more weeks as to whether or not it's BSE. The bigger worry is in fast food shops where it has been proven that the meat used is not as described on the menu. Well, that I don't think that's got a lot to do with, with BSE. That's um, uh, fast food places trying to... Um, Yes, not give us what we're supposed to be getting. Uh, Louise, Louise McClure says, uh, didn't stop eating beef the last time, nor this time. Anyway, surely if food is cooked properly, it will kill any bacteria and other nasties. That's on my Facebook page. And Bab says, uh, Louise, I totally agree with you. So those are some of the subjects we've been talking about. If you'd like to comment, please do get in touch. Um, coming up in the next hour, uh, we'll be talking the menopause. Is there enough understanding, enough support for women in Scotland going through the menopause? We're talking about that. I want your comments on that. And also, do you hear that the uh, they're going to be making changes to the highway code to give more priority to pedestrians and cyclists over motorists? More about that coming up in the next hour of Scotland's Talking. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Is there enough support and understanding for women in Scotland going through the menopause? We hear the jokes about mood swings and hot flushes, but do we talk enough about what the experience is like? It was World Menopause Day on Thursday, and Scottish Labour used it to call for menopause clinics to be made available across the country. At the moment, they're only available if you're in Fife, Grampian, Lothian, Tayside and Dumfries and Galloway. They say there's a stigma and a lack of support from employers for women who go through this at the peak of their working lives. So, is there more we could be doing? And could the most helpful thing be just talking about it more? Which is why I'm talking about it with you now. Fiona Russell writes a blog about all sorts of outdoor activities called Fiona Outdoors. And recently she's been posting some very revealing pieces about how the menopause has been affecting her. Uh, Fiona, good morning to you. Hello. Good morning. So what then got you into talking about it? Was just your own experiences? Yeah, so I, um, in my sort of mid-40s, I'm, I'm really quite fit and sporty and um, I was getting odd things like, cramps but not cramps like stomach cramps I was getting them in my calves and my feet and my shoulders and my hands and I was getting them so bad sometimes at night that it would tear muscles um and I was also getting a lot of nausea problems when running and I thought these were odd things and it was actually stopping me from doing my sport it was that bad which of course then affects my mental health as well as my physical health so I um, went to the doctors and I was referred to various consultants at hospitals and had lots and lots of tests done and nothing untoward came up and then um, I started getting hot sweats, so obviously the um, menopause symptoms, the sort of more common ones, were happening. And I put two and two together, and I thought, I'm going to have a look on the internet. So I ended up on some forums, mainly American forums, where I noticed that some women were having foot cramps at night. And I thought, well, that's mm. a bit interesting. So I then wondered whether there was a connection. So I went back to my doctor, who was very supportive, but... Um, not all these symptoms are that well known. You know, everyone knows the normal ones about um, hot sweats and sort of tiredness and that sort of thing, but not these kind of symptoms. So I asked to be put on HRT. 
And I knew the, um, you know, some of the side effects of HRT, although I know they're vastly reduced from what they thought they were 20 years ago. And since being on the HRT, the cramps are massively reduced, and the nausea while running has also been reduced. Um, so I just think that there's these symptoms that many people don't know about that could possibly be connected to the menopause, but there's not been that amount of research done to, into it, which is why I then write about it, because I think that sharing this information especially among more sporty women, is really helpful. Mm. And, and what's been the reaction back to you about writing this fr from your blog, from those who are reading your blog? Amazing. I mean, I've had people get in contact um, through social media to say, you know, gosh, I hadn't even put those symptoms together. I just didn't think about it. Um, yes, I have been getting a lot more cramps. Yes, I have been getting nauseous. You know, nausea is one that many people don't think about, and it seems to be connected to the change in, in the hormones. But because there's not enough research done, we don't know if that's conclusive or not. But it does seem that there's more people, the more I talk about it, the more people sort of go, oh, do you know, I hadn't even thought mm -hmm. that that could be connected to the menopause. Right. Uh, also with us is Rachel Weiss from Perth, founded the Menopause Cafe movement to get people talking about it more. Um, has it worked? Hi, Ali. Yes, uh, it's amazing. I've, I've just had a look on our website and seen there are about two menopause cafes a week throughout the UK coming up in the next month. So clearly there was an interest and people do want to talk about the menopause. And I think it's like Fiona says, um, many people have the symptoms and don't realize that maybe their lack of confidence could be menopause linked. And I think people don't realize you can still be having your periods. You can be in the perimenopause before the menopause happens and be affected by the physical and emotional symptoms. Yeah, people just seem to like meeting up, finding out they're not alone, finding out they're not going mad, that this mm -hmm. is a normal, natural process, and these things happen to our bodies and our emotions, and we can get through it, and it, it seems easier to get through it um, with a little bit of information and chat with other people. I, I'm just looking at uh, some comments that are coming through just now on social media to us, um, and one lady saying here, it is talked about more now than it was years ago. Um, so obviously, you know, that. Uh, just let me read it again. She says, uh, yeah, there is more help these days. This is Liz. There's more help these days for women going through the menopause than there was a few years ago. Um, yeah. You know, you can go to your doctor, you can go uh, online where women can get more information there. But actually getting together uh, in, in a sort of menopause cafe type environment. Well, face to face. You see, I think the yeah. virtual world is great and we need the blogs like Fiona's and the forums, but particularly if women are either in, in more rural areas or, or have too much anxiety to turn up. But there's, there's quite an appetite to actually meet up face to face and we have a good laugh and anyone can run a pop-up event, a menopause cafe. There's one in Bankery coming up. I'm waiting for someone in Edinburgh or Glasgow to start one. Um, because the central belt haven't been as as quick on the mark as, say, Ayrshire or the borders have been. So, yeah, I think in our digital age, we also still, some of us, like to meet up face-to-face -face as well, just exchange stories, questions. And these gatherings, they're for young and old and in between, and for men as well as women, because I think everyone needs to know about the menopause. My, my interest started because I'm an employer. And right. I hadn't been through it myself, the menopause, but one of my employees was getting more migraines than usual. Mm. And it took her and me quite a while to figure out this was menopause-related and would pass, and we could just accommodate it. Um, I, I think particularly male managers can feel quite out of their depth if a female staff member says, I've got the menopause, 
this is affecting me at work, what can we do about it? I think that for someone, I'm sure, Fiona, you agree as well, for somebody to actually, in an employment type of environment, to be talking about it is good because um, I suppose I know many male managers who would, for, oh, well, you know, she's, you know, and then it just, that's it. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not being talked about. And this is opening it up, yeah. Fiona. Yes, I mean, I've when I've written about it, I've um, put it on to social media. Uh, quite a few men have commented and said, thank you for telling us. You know, it's really interesting to find out, not just from a sporting point of view, but, you know, from working with people. Um, and it just sort of shares information that, many people wouldn't want to talk about necessarily before. I mean, people do talk about it far more now. Um, and now, I mean, I don't, if I've forgotten something, because I forget things all the time, I can't remember somebody's name, and it's horribly embarrassing, but I actually just now say, I'm really sorry, menopause brain, can you just remind me what your name is? Um, and I also get migraines as well. Um, the HRT did help with that for a while, but it's it's not helping as much now. And I, I'm self-employed, so I have to um, say to some clients look I'm I'm really sorry but I have a migraine and I think it's probably connected to the menopause and I'm not afraid to say that now Um, maybe a few years ago I was afraid but I think the more we make it known I mean half the population will be affected not to the not everyone will have it to the same degree but um, you know we shouldn't be afraid to say it I know that um, Rachel you're talking about you know we we like to do this face-to-face social media is great but do you think social media has led the way in breaking down some of the the barriers and talking about menopause? Absolutely I think it's great loads of celebrities have been writing about menopause in say the last 18 months it was Kirsty Walk's TV program on menopause and me that inspired me to start Menopause Cafe and I think social media has helped spread the word and it's a good starting point for people to just read about it and start posting about it. And hopefully that will enable them eventually to be able to have conversations at work if they need to and with their partners and friends. Because their, their partners, male or female partners, can feel quite rejected and can feel it's their fault if, if the woman does, finds penetrative sex painful now and then starts rejecting their partner. And gosh, so much misery could be saved if people just understood a bit like we understand puberty. We know there's mm-hmm. hormonal changes there, nor pregnancy. Um, we don't tend to end relationships around those issues. Um, if we understood menopause as a natural thing that most of us go through. Um, and here are some of the side effects, and it's not, it's not the partner's fault or the friend's fault. And it's a case of, again, not just going to the doctor, but sitting down, as far as the cafe is concerned anyway, and discussing in a relaxed atmosphere, I would imagine. Well, that's why we hold them in cafes, because I think most of us find a cafe a far more relaxing atmosphere than a, a church hall or a doctor's surgery. So you, at these pop-up events, you turn up from menopause cafe, sit around cafe tables, please eat cake and drink coffee so the cafe gets some money because um, they're free events, and just talk about whatever aspect of the menopause you're interested in. We've had 20-year-old young women come on behalf of their mums. We've had men, because they want to know more for their colleagues. Um, so it's a, there's no agenda. Talk about whatever aspect interests you. Have a laugh, share stories, share tips. Mm. Um, and it's good fun. Fiona, I'm just uh, reading... Um... Uh, a, a message here on, on my Facebook page from Jan. And Jan says, really interesting about menopause and the cramp. I'm getting cramp. I've been suffering awful cramps in my calves, shins and feet. 
even my thighs. I'm quite an active person, so this all fits in. I don't have many other menopause symptoms apart from the odd hot moment. I hadn't thought for a moment that the cramps could be linked. Yes, absolutely. Loads of people don't think about it. It was actually I was having a conversation with a friend who's a wee bit older than me, and she said, um, you know, when I have a glass of a few glasses of white wine, that's when I get the cramps the, the worst. And I thought, gosh, maybe it is just the wine. So I tried <laughs> drinking red wine, and it made no difference whatsoever. But mine, the cramps were so severe, I actually got stuck in the middle of a swimming pool doing a training session and couldn't get to the edge because the cramp was so severe I couldn't move my legs, and it ended up tearing muscles. Um, and so I think people just don't realize that the hormonal changes have these, you know, odd symptoms um, because I never got cramps before and I actually don't get the cramps now. I'm on HRT. So I'm pretty sure that it must be connected in some way unless it's just simply getting old. Could be. <laughs> you never know. Uh, Rachel, I've got another one in here that says, uh, from Fiona, she says, should definitely talk more about the menopause. It seems like it's treated as some sort of joke by all except by people suffering the symptoms. No one actually says what those symptoms will be. So I, for one, waiting with bated breath to quite find out what it will be for me affects all women in, in different ways, Rachel, doesn't it? It does. And Fiona, you might be one of the lucky 20% who sailed through with no symptoms and can just think, great, no more periods, no more contraception. Or, yeah, you, you might be, some people suffer very severely and the rest of us are somewhere in between. And it is different for every person, mm. which is why there isn't one answer. I think it's really good to chat to people, chat to your friends who are older, ask them, how did it affect them? Um, we're having a menopause festival in Perth next year, in April, just to try and break the stigma and the taboo. So there'll be serious bits like how to have HR policies at work, but also stand-up comedy, um, film and art exhibition, singing. You know, we just want to make it a normal topic. And how do our listeners find out more about that then? Um, go to www.menopausecafe.net. And there you'll see details about the festival and you can also find a list of all the menopause cafes and find one near you. Mm. Um, and if there isn't one near you and you're please. in the central belt... <laughs> please start one. Or if you're in the Highlands and Islands, I think Bankery's as far north as we've got. Anyone, get a friend, because we say don't do it on your own. It's good to have a pal. doesn't cost anything to run a menopause cafe. It's a one-off pop-up event. You just need a friendly cafe owner for any cafe owners listening in go to www.menopausecafe.net and really you just need a bit of help advertising it and we can we can send you press releases, posters. Rachel, thank you very much indeed for joining us and all the best with that. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Uh, Fiona, uh, your blog, how do we get in touch? How do we read what's going on? Oh, that's simple. Just search online for Fiona Outdoors. It's www.fionaoutdoors.co.uk and it's not just the menopause I write about. I mean, it's mixed in with all the other stuff that I do. Um, I've started a new section called Fit Over 50. Um, just to get encourage, there's lots of case studies and um, inspiration for how to keep going, not just for women but for men as well. A fit over fifty. Yes, <laughs> there's I, lots of us. I was going, well, I was going to say I fit into that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just good because I think there just hasn't been um, a gen, maybe our generation or po is well, probably the first one that sort of kept going from twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. You know, running and cycling, and Possibly that's where there has been a lack of research and information for people in the menopause who are, you know, already fit and 
when, when I look at some of the research that's been done, it tends to be more to do with um, encouraging people to, to start getting fit um, maybe in the menopause years. But there's lots of us who are already fit, but we then find that we hit these obstacles of our health. Um, and it's just sharing that information, really. OK, Fiona, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Fiona Russell and Rachel Weiss, thank you very much indeed. Uh, you can comment, of course, as always, and the way to do that, 0333 That's the telephone number. You can text 61054, start your message with Ali. Uh, you can email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. Uh, quite a few comments on my Facebook page, which is Ali Bally Show, or indeed we're on Twitter, hashtag Scotland's Talking. And let's get some reaction then to what we're talking about on the menopause. Liz says, I bet you're glad you're a man after listening to what us women have to go through due to the menopause. Don't think we should be referred to as the weaker sex now. Liz, I would never dare refer to you as the weaker sex. Uh, Moira says, that's the thing about Sunday morning. With Ali on Scotland's Talking, you never quite know what we're going to be talking about. And it makes really interesting. Thank you. Not often a male can be said they tackle that subject. Thanks for that. Uh, Tom. Thank you, Tom. He says, um, thank you for the information on the menopause. Uh, my wife is currently going through it, and it's good to know uh, that there is some help out there. So thanks for bringing that onto the programme today. That's all right. Um, another one here. Uh, who's this one from? It doesn't say. Right, OK. I'm experiencing the menopause from hell. I don't recognise the woman I was before this happened. Anxiety has made me a shadow of my formal self. Formal self, yeah. Uh, sleep disturbance, depression, sweats, muscle pain, palpitations, nausea and weight gain are just some of the symptoms I've suffered for five years. If men had to go through this hell, it would have been treated as a serious public health issue that it clearly is and it would have been treated long before now. OK, thank you very much indeed. You don't give me your name, but you know who you are. Uh, so thanks for, for, for getting in touch. And maybe, you know, that I understand what you're going through. And you're being, well, I can't understand what you're going through, but I, I know what you're saying. And I just wonder if uh, going on to um, either my two previous guests, uh, to the Menopause Cafe or indeed um, to, to the other website that we gave there from Fiona, Fiona's page, then the blog might give you some help. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if there is maybe a menopause cafe in your area. But thanks for getting in touch anyway. Uh, still time to do that, of course. All the ways of getting in touch are open. I also want to talk about um, a totally different subject. That's what Sunday morning's all about. Uh, making changes to the highway code to give more priority to pedestrians and cyclists. Now, the new rule would mean that when you arrive at a junction and someone is waiting to cross... You should let them go first. Duncan Dollymore is from the charity Cycling UK and he's all in favour of it. Changing the highway code is important. Uh, there will be people who say that, well, what does that matter? Uh, it's not something that everybody follows anyway, but it's really important that people are explained that when they learn to drive. My own daughter sat a driving test a year or so ago. Uh, she told me a week before the test nobody had spoken to her at all during her lessons about cyclists about horse riders, about vulnerable road users. So there are some cultural changes here that we need to bring about through education so that we put the interests of vulnerable road users, at a, at more importantly, or put them first. We've got a really poor pedestrian safety record 
in the UK. People often talk about the UK having a good road safety record. We're far further down the pecking order in Europe on pedestrian safety. And last year, uh, pedestrian deaths increased by 5%. So we need to do something about it. And changing some of these rules is part of the step towards a cultural change. Duncan Dullamore from the charity Cycling UK in favour of the proposed changes to the highway code. So, does that seem like a good change to you? Or is rewriting the highway code like that, giving us licence to jaywalk, just go off the pavement onto the road without looking, I've got the right away? You know, there will be those who take that attitude. You know, even though they changed this, I would still stop and look and make sure that um, there was nothing coming around the corner. But it could just be a licence to continue walking. Um, if you're a driver, are you fed up with coming across people who seem to think, you know, the Green Cross code doesn't apply to them. No, no, they just go across anyway. Whatever happened to stop, look and listen? Ah, yes, bring back the Tufty Club. Or is it time for drivers to stop being so selfish and learn to share the roads? What do you think? Oh, treble three, 2020. 401 is the number. Come on, let's have your comments on this one. Motorists, is this the right move? Uh, you know, is, is it going to help road safety? What do you think? Pedestrians, so if you're sitting at a junction and you're going to turn left, if there's a pedestrian waiting to cross the road, they have the right of way, not you. What do you think? Oh, treble three, 2020, 401. Jordy Joyner's here. How are you? Hiya, Ali, how are we doing? I'm not too bad, yourself? Oh, I'm full of busy. Full um, of, you're always busy. I, I'm, I'm in St Andrews and um, it's a bit of a nightmare uh, with students, mostly your, local, your locals, uh, they actually, you know, stop, look and listen, but your students just think they can just waltz across the road anyway. And it's like, like I say, it's go back to common sense. So they, is, it, is it their educational? Is it, is it the fact that, you know, they think they can just, that, you know, they've got their iPads on or they've got their phone in their hands, they've got ear earplugs in and think they can just cross anyway and... and and it's, what always surprises me, Jordy, is the way they, you know, if, if you see someone, you take to turning a corner and someone's got their phone in their hand, they've got their headphones on, and then they turn and they're shocked to see a car just about taking them out. And they go, oh, right, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're basically driving a, a three-quarter ton killing machine. And it's like it doesn't stop on a, you know, on a white line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think young kids need to be told nowadays it's get back to basics. That's what I said, back to the Tufty Club. Yeah, yep. that's it, the, yep. green, the green cross code. Indeed. I the green cross. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm busy, Ali, I better go. OK, <laughs> right, take care. Cheers. See you later. Bye-bye now, bye-bye. Uh, he's busy joinering. You know, there's another thing you know, that, that I, I noticed the other week there. Sorry, I, I could get on my high horse about this, but I won't. I'll just say, am I alone here? There was a guy in a van, and he was driving this van. Obviously, he was a driver. And he had a pair of big white headphones on. You know, like the, not just a little couple of earplugs in that's plugged into his phone. That's bad enough. I just don't understand that. I, you know, and I see lorry drivers, and, and I've actually watched a bus driver driving a bus with his headphones in, Obviously, listening to his phone and his music on his phone, I don't get that. 
you know, but this guy was wearing these big white headphones and he's driving. How on earth can he be in charge of that vehicle when he doesn't know what's going on around about him? Am I alone in this? You know, I mean, are, are you guilty? Are you the guilty one who goes around and, and it was an air? So there you are. If you go about around driving a van, I think it was a red van. I could name the company, but I won't. Um, and you've got these white headphones on all the time. How do you, if, you know, if, if an emergency vehicle came up at the back of you with their sirens going, you wouldn't hear it. If anyone was happening around you, you wouldn't hear it for the music. It just seems nuts to me. Is that against the law? And now on Scotland's Talking, time for any other business. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate on Scotland's Talking. Clyde 2. Any other business then you'd like to talk about? We've covered quite a few areas today, I'll tell you. 0333-2020-401. We've been talking about restaurants, we've talked about... The menopause, the highway codes. If something else you'd like to talk about, then give us a call. 0333 2020 401. Uh, Philip, a message for you from Saul. He has tried and he's now given up. <laughs> he was getting your answer phone, just in case uh, you think that we weren't calling you back. Eric gets in touch regarding any other business. Maybe you could use this on the talking show, Ali. Edinburgh Council are not satisfied with destroying Princess Street with their trams. They have now started on the gardens and cut down a whole load of trees. Yes, uh, I, I, I was aware of that, Eric. And uh, they no doubt have the reasons, but it's, it's to make way for a path or something like that, isn't it? Just, uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, I hear what you're saying. But... Um, he's saying it's the destruction of, of East Princess Street Gardens. What do you think? Uh, there's another one here from Phil Giri Restaurants. People don't realise there are overheads to pay in addition to the menu price, service charge, VAT tipping. Restaurants also face competition from other restaurants. And uh, it's a cutthroat dog-eat-dog business. No surprise to hear so many restaurants are going under. Thank you. Elizabeth in Dundee. On the... Elizabeth, what do you want to talk about? Good morning. Thank you for listening to me. I would just like to inform your listeners that a meeting will be held in the city chambers in Dundee tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. This is to discuss the women's custody unit that has been proposed to open in Ann Street in 2020. Mm. This unit is to uh, hold up to 16 female prisoners who have probably, they're saying, come from this area and they want to rehabilitate them. Now, up to now, um, a, a friend of mine, Tom Haney, and myself have gathered a lot of signatures. There's about 1,500 signatures that Dundee City Council are aware of. The Scottish Prison Service were um, given several um, ideas of where to actually put this unit, and they've actually hung their hat on Ann Street. Now, I'm quite sure that yourself and others who stay in Dundee 
they've actually just um, made this an absolutely wonderful area for mm-hmm. young families, yep. um, the, the houses. They've got a primary school and they've got a nursery school in this area. And I was so pleased that they'd actually made this area, which is quite vulnerable at times, into something nice where families can grow up. There's just been a lot of investment there, hasn't there, It's absolutely, it really is lovely. You should take a wee dander round here. It's really nice. It's a lovely area. The new school and everything looks absolutely fantastic. Yes. So the meeting then is, uh, you're obviously against this women's custody unit. We're not against the actual idea of it. What we're against is where they're planning to put it. Okay. We had actually suggested maybe up at the old Strathmartin Hospital area, you mm-hmm. know, like, and the, I, the, what they said was it wasn't on a bus route. <laughs> I, I can't get my head around that because you tell nurses who worked in Strathmartin Hospital for years about how they actually managed to get to their work every day. But for a women's custody unit, it's not on a bus route. Sounds daft. Right, I'm I'm afraid, Elizabeth, only because I'm running up against the clock here, um, I'm going to have to cut you there. But tell me, remind me of the meeting and the place again, please. It's in uh, Dundee City Chambers in the city square at 6pm tomorrow night. Please come. Okay, Elizabeth, thank you very much indeed. Final word goes to Ian Shepherd, who's in Crail. Ian, good morning. Just a quick word, Dali. Uh, I missed the part about you talking about the code, highway code for pedestrians and cyclists. Right. Has it actually been passed just now? It's not. But it's up for discussion, and it's a, a possibility that they're going to change the highway code. The new rule would mean that when you arrive at a junction and someone's waiting to cross, they will have the right of way, not the motorist. I'm not against cyclists, I was one myself. Uh, Travelling on a main road when there's been quite a bit of money spent on cycle routes alongside the main roads, persistently get cyclists cycling along uh, on the main road when there's a cycle route at the side. Right, so they're using the road when there's actually been cycle lanes there for them. Ian, thank you very much indeed. Uh, The news is next.